Hello, good morning and welcome to the City Business Edition. My name is Kojo Akoto Boating. Last week, we talked to the President of the Federation of Africa Engineering Organizations. This week, we are going to hear from Dr. Mersina Komle Ahun. She is a public health physician with in-depth global and country experience. She supported a lot of developing countries in their immunization and vaccination um, programs. And Bernardino Kokuavle caught up with her to talk to her about the COVID-19 pandemic and the various issues when it comes to the vaccines and how countries, especially Ghana, should approach the vaccination program and what we must know. We are very privileged to be joined by a public health physician and an immunization expert on both the country, continental, international, and global level. Uh, my guest for this segment has expertise in immunization programs, including rollout of important national programs. In fact, between 1999 and 2003, she led the Ghana team in the national immunization program where they talk many, many achievements. She also, as managing director for Gavi programs, country programs, directed country programs globally, working in almost 70 countries where over 320 million children received at least one dose of a vaccine. And these days she consults at very high levels for the international organizations trying to roll out vaccines for the world. My, my aim today is to try and understand what is COVAX? What are these international arrangements for rolling out vaccines? Why are some countries vaccinating almost 30% of their population and we are still waiting for our first dose? Is it just money or is it planning? And how safe are vaccines for our use? My guest is Dr. Messi Ahun. Doc, thanks for talking to us on City. Good day. Thank you. First point, it's such a pleasure to find a Ghanaian working at a very high level in international health when we are in the midst of a pandemic. And I must say, it's very pleasing to know that you started from Ghana and now you are coordinating very, very large projects. That must be very good news for Ghanaians listening to you at home. Thank you. Thank you. It, it is a pleasure for me. I mean, my roots as a district director of health services in Ashanti region, Kwabre and Kumasi, is the platform and foundation for my public health career. And I'm really uh, proud of our achievements in public health and especially immunization. So let's start from the basics. What are vaccines and how do they work to protect people from disease? Thank you. Um, vaccines are the basis of immunization programs, which are said to be one of the most effective public health uh, programs. And vaccines are basically biological preparations that reduce the risk of infection by working with our body's natural defenses to build immunity to an infection. And we can learn how vaccines work from how the body fights illnesses. When germs enter our bodies, the germs multiply and attack various organs and cause us to feel sick. And the body has its own army, soldiers, the white blood cells which multiply and then attack the invading army. And when they have attacked and they win, 
we, the body produces substances we call antibodies, which protect the body and memory cells, which are reserved so that anytime that enemy comes, the body act, uh, uh, uses it to fight the infection. And that's the way vaccines work. Uh, they are usually a weakened form of the virus or part of the virus, which are injected or put into the body. And the body puts up a response and the memory cells and the antibodies are retained. So vaccines just mimic what naturally happens in the body. And as I said, Ghana has had a lot of success in its immunization program since it was introduced in 1978. We have eliminated maternal and neonatal tetanus. We are on the verge of uh, polio uh, eradication since 2003 there has been no documented measles death, all based on a successful vaccination program. Mm, that's great to know. Now, it seems to me that anytime we talk about vaccines or vaccination programs, even though they happen at national levels or regional levels, we're always having a global conversation. So can you break down the global vaccine industry and how it works? Okay. Yeah, as, as I, I mentioned earlier, uh, vaccines are complex biological products. They are not like making paracetamol. And uh, the, the, it's a lengthy manufacturing and, and control processes. And uh, successful manufacturing of high quality vaccines requires international standardization of starting materials, production, quality control, and then having uh, regulatory me mechanisms to ensure that all the steps are followed. Uh, production can take anywhere from six to 36 months because you are dealing with uh, biological uh, products. And sometimes if there's a failure somewhere along the line, uh, vaccine production uh, can be uh, stopped. Uh, what has happened is that the COVID-19 pandemic has stimulated a lot of investment in uh, vaccine production. And in producing vaccines, there are various stages. So, for example, before a vaccine is, uh, after scientists develop a vaccine, there has to be tested in animals. And that one is called the preclinical stage. So the vaccine is first tested in animals to see how it goes. And then we go to phase one, which is part of the clinical work. And, and in phase one, the vaccine is tested in healthy, uh, young individuals, usually small numbers. And if it is successful, it goes to phase two trial when you have a, a broader group of people for the phase two trial. And then in phase three trials, you have thousands of people. So for example, in the COVID vaccine, you have uh, people were tested in South Africa, in UK, in Brazil, in different places, and the vaccines are tested for safety and efficacy. So for safety, for example, for each vaccine, the WHO sets standards. They have something that they call a target product profile. So for um, uh, uh, COVID vaccine, for example, every vaccine has to meet certain minimum criteria. 
that, for example, for uh, 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 efficacy, it needs to protect at least 50% of the target uh, uh, group. And then for safety, uh, they are monitoring to look at side effects during uh, this, this process. So after the vaccine goes through phase one, phase two, phase three, and if the side effects are minimum, because usually after a, an injectable vaccine, you have a sore arm, you may get fever, those are considered as minor uh, side effects. So if the vaccine is able to go through all those processes, then the vaccine is ready for pre-qualification. Uh, listeners may have heard recently that one of the major vaccine manufacturers called Merck had to stop uh, their vaccine production at the phase one stage because uh, there were so many problems there. So there have been so many vaccines, you can start with hundreds of vaccines and maybe end up with only one that is working. So it means that it's a lot of investment. You need to have uh, money in order to produce vaccines and you need to have scientists and it's a whole complex setup that you need to be able to uh, produce uh, vaccines. So after the vaccine has gone through all phase one, phase two, phase three, you have regulatory bodies uh, in countries and the, the regulatory body have to test also independently after the manufacturer has gone through its own processes. The regulatory body will look at quality control, safety and efficacy. And in addition, in countries like Ghana, which rely on the WHO pre-qualification process, the WHO is going to also independently assess the vaccine for safety and efficacy before it is released to uh, the public. And what is happening for a COVID vaccine that because it is, uh, we have a public health emergency, it goes through a process of what is called emergency use listing. And so for example, the uh, Pfizer vaccine, uh, the Moderna vaccine has gone through the emergency use listing. The AstraZeneca uh, Oxford vaccine, uh, which Ghana uh, uh, wants, is still in the process of going through uh, uh, the emergency use listing. In, in, on the African continent, we have the Pasteur Institute in Senegal, which produces from start to finish yellow fever vaccine. So we have at least uh, one vaccine which is produced on the continent. In South Africa, uh, they also have a setup for fill and finish, which means that the vaccine is produced in another place and then they just put it into vials and finish it. So because of all this, it's a very laborious and rigorous uh, process and then also the financial uh, uh, implications of investing into vaccines, even in developed countries, you don't have many, you don't have as many uh, companies producing vaccines as compared to mm. other uh, pharmaceuticals. Mm. So um, this, this is in a nutshell, the whole process which occurs at a, a higher level to ensure that vaccines are safe. A, a quick one there, uh, sort of follow up on the answer. 
as we are talking, we heard news from South Africa, for example, that the AstraZeneca vaccine, um, they, 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 it, it would not deal with the new strain of COVID. So you're saying that based on the press you've explained, this, this is, is this a normal announcement to hear? Because we are in the middle of a pandemic. They started rolling out the vaccine only for us to be told this week that they don't think the vaccine is, is going to deal with the new strain. Is that where within the process you described will, will, will such a space be made? Or is it because we are in a pandemic, we may have to truncate some of these processes? No, uh, it, it's not a, a question of uh, truncating. Uh, so they are going through phase one, phase two, phase, uh, phase three, and then there's the phase four when the vaccine is uh, uh, in the process of being rolled out and they looked at their data. And this is why science needs to work with program and government all the time. So the Minister of Health, uh, I, um, I was on a Zoom call yesterday, and the Minister of Health and Scientists, and, and then program people are looking at the information together. So what they are saying is that they are still looking at the AstraZeneca vaccine because although it did not seem to have a significant effect on mild and moderate disease, uh, it is likely to have an impact on severe disease and hospitalization. So although, although they are not going to roll it out in the general public, they will look at severe cases and hospitalization to see whether it has an impact. And if it has an impact, because finally you want to prevent deaths, you want to prevent severe disease. So they can then target the vaccine at the segment of the population with severe, uh, which are likely to develop severe disease. Because as they said, the number of, the number of uh, people in the trial was small. It was just a few thousand and then they were young. But we know that the severity of the disease is more in the uh, uh, plus 50, uh, 60 going. So they are just using their data to guide more, uh, to have a more targeted effort at rolling out the vaccine. So it's not that they are going to stop it. It's just mm -hmm. that they are going to be more specific in how they use the vaccine. Fair enough. Now, you, you are the Managing Director for Ga Gavi Country Programs. We keep hearing yes. Gavi and we keep hearing COVAX more recently. What are these things okay. and what role do they play in getting access to vaccines? Okay. So Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance uh, was uh, uh, formed, uh, the inception was in 1999, but was launched in 2000 at the World Economic Forum. And the vision of Gavi is to save lives. It's a public-private partnership. So you have uh, the public sector, WHO, UNICEF, World Bank, they are part of uh, uh, Gavi. You have vaccine manufacturers, you have countries, uh, both developing and developed. I believe the Minister of Health is on the board of Gavi. And they come together to ensure that um, um, they'll be able to secure vaccines uh, at lower prices for the poorest countries in return for long-term high value and predictable demand. Because what was happening in the past was that if countries go on a piecemeal to uh, procure vaccines, they will not be able to negotiate for um, uh, uh, a reduced prices. 
But because, because uh, Gavi has the finances to, look, to do long-term forecasting, let's say five years, and they can negotiate with manufacturers that if your product meets this target, we'll be able to uh, assure you that we'll buy your product. So when I joined Gavi in 2003, the pentavalent vaccine, or what we call five-in-one, was nearly $4. Now it's about $1. And that is the beauty of Gavi, that it can uh, secure a vaccine and bring it at a lower price than what is available elsewhere. So, in, uh, for example, the vaccines that uh, Gavi sells, there are 11 vaccines supposed to be used in immunization program. For Gavi countries, it costs about $28. In the US of A, it's more than $1,000. Wow. So that's the beauty of, of uh, uh, Gavi. And right now, Gavi vaccinates almost half of the world's children, giving us tremendous power to negotiate vaccine at affordable prices. Mm. And so COVAX is Gavi using its uh, um, financial arm and then the, the uh, uh, long-term predictability to, to negotiate with the manufacturers that if you are able to pre, uh, produce vaccines which meet this criteria, we promise that we will buy the vaccines. And so um, uh, uh, in the COVAX, and Ghana, for example, qualifies for the COVAX, Gavi will give you uh, free vaccines for 20% of your population. In addition, if the country wants more, they uh, will sell at subsidized prices. So uh, the COVAX offers country the opportunity because countries have to procure vaccines at very uh, short term. And for most countries, they did not plan for this pandemic. So it offers countries some breathing space to be able to procure and uh, introduce the, the vaccines. Okay. Now, why are African countries so far behind? I was monitoring. I mean, the UK said they vaccinated about 20% um, of their population. I mean, yeah. Biden says he would do 100 million in 100 days of office. Mm. Okay. Mm. Apart from South Africa, I think Mauritius and a couple of countries, most African countries haven't even received their first doses. <laughs> so yeah. what, 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 why is this the case? Can you explain that for us? Well, there are multiple reasons, including what has been called vaccine nationalism. Most of the companies manufacturing vaccines are based in rich countries. And national governments tend to follow their own interests first before following a coordinated global approach but I think that what we are all learning is that this can negatively impact the management and containment of the pandemic because we have a global village. If, there's, if I clear the rubbish in front of my house, but there's rubbish on my next door neighbor, it affects me. And in fact, uh, Gavi commissioned um, an independent not-for-profit research institute called Rand Europe to, take some, to, do, to undertake some analysis to look at the global cost of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And what we found out was that the economic impact for all of us, the whole world, if only uh, vaccine nations introduce uh, uh, the vaccine would be $1.23 trillion a year. 
But if all high and middle income countries plus the vac vaccinations have access to reduce to 153 US dollars, billion. So you have trillion and then you have billion. And this affirms our, the African proverb that we can go far when we go together. Fast and alone won't get us anywhere to address this problem. So, and that is why uh, uh, the, the rich countries are contributing to, to COVAX um, uh, so that we'll be able to address this issue. I believe that there are still some um, um, gaps and uh, the Africa Union, the uh, uh, President Ramaphosa made the announcement that the, uh, the Africa Union is securing an additional 270 million COVID vaccine doses through the Africa Vaccine Acquisition Task Team. And this is going to be financed through uh, Africa Zimbank through advanced procurement commitment up to $2 billion for all 55 AU countries. So the, 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 the African uh, countries are making effort through a coordinated way that not just each country approaching the manufacturers, but working together, in addition to what Gavi and COVAX are doing, we, we are also able to procure vaccines at more subsidized uh, prices than the uh, bilateral approach. Okay, so, Doc, thank you. So beyond COVAX, do countries like Ghana have the option of buying directly? Are there other arrangements that are possible and can they be done concurrently? Yes, I believe in Ghana. I mean, um, some private sector uh, groups have expressed interest in um, through COVAX uh, buy more than the 20% and Gavi is willing to do that. The country in itself, I believe the government is also discussing how to approach uh, other, other uh, manufacturers because we need about 60 to 70% coverage in order to get herd immunity. And the concept of herd immunity in immunization is that, I mean, if you can imagine if we are in a group and all of us are carrying umbrellas, not everyone needs to carry umbrella. If we have about 70 to 80% carry umbrellas, they can cover those who do not uh, 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 have an umbrella. So that is what we call herd immunity. So the government is looking at various strategies not just through COVAX, uh, to see how we can get additional vaccines because the, 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 what Gavi is offering, the 20%, we certainly need more than that to mm. be fully protected at now, this time. To get access to the vaccine, is it just a question of putting in a request and, and making sure there's money? Because I'm asking because I've heard announcements about our first batch of vaccines will come uh, end of February or early March, next batch or X number of people should be vaccinated by June and all that type of thing. Is it as straightforward? Because I get a sense the the people who are providing the vaccine may also want to insist that certain things be put in place before they even send the vaccine because they don't want the vaccine to malfunction <laughs> to bend their reputation. So for example, they talk of code chain and all of these things. So just explain to me, yeah. once we've made the request and we have money to pay for it, is that what it is? Um, um, it involves, certainly involves a lot. WHO earlier on, I think, was it last year by November, had released 
some guidelines for countries. And so they are indicators and countries have to report on that. And so planning and coordination, we know in immunization programs and you may have heard stories about the US and some states which were not ready. I mean, African countries have been planning and coordinating mass immunization campaigns for uh, uh, decades. So I believe that we are excellent at that. So there is a planning and coordination committee. There are indicators that we are looking at because you are right, the cold chain is important. We've looked at the cold chain issues. So for example, we said we wanted a, a, a cold chain which is uh, uh, consistent with what we have now because some of the vaccines need a very extreme cold chain which will take a while to institute. So there are various angles, there are multiple uh, things that come together. So the, uh, I think Gabby was very clear. He said that they have an interim distribution list because there are so many things that can affect the manufacturing process. Sometimes uh, um, uh, there may be some hiccups along the way. So this is only as a planning guideline for countries to uh, work with. Um, so subject to manufacturing capacity, WHO emergency use listing, which has not yet been completed for the AstraZeneca vaccine and uh, completion of other items. Ghana needs to be green, green, green because there's a traffic light system to monitor the country readiness to introduce the vaccine. So if the country is not green, 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 it means that the country is not ready. So there are so many different arms. There are moving parts which need to come together for uh, countries to be able to introduce the vaccine on time. So we expect and we uh, hope that the deliveries will arrive on time, uh, but we are taking cognizance of all the various uh, limitations that we may face. So based on your experience on the rollout of many, many vaccination programs across many contexts, by which date do you think Ghana and then on Africa would have a majority of its population vaccinated. I'm asking this because I've, I've heard different analysts talk about this pandemic will be with us till at least we have a sort of global herd immunity and some are putting it as far as end of 2023. So in fact, one of the uh, analysts was saying he, he expects life as we knew it before COVID, the earliest to be beginning of 2024. And that's based on some optimistic assumptions. Now, I don't know whether that, what, what your views are. So for example, for, for Ghana and for African countries, when do you think realistically we should expect majority of the population to be, to be vaccinated? In epidemiology, which uh, um, is a study of epidemics and the who's, the how, the what, we make projections. The projections are only a guide. So you can have the worst scenario and the best scenario. So um, I've, I've said the availability of vaccines and it's not only vaccines, uh, looking at the protocols, looking at our treatment, looking at the objectives of whether we are targeting severe disease and all, the, all, all those things come together. So it's not the vaccine is not the be all and end all. It's only one arm of what we need to do so it depends on us. It, it depends. As you have heard, it could take us 
2024, it depends on us. If we are not following the protocols, if we are not, uh, uh, um, and all these conspiracy theories, which we haven't gone through about vaccines, and that was why at the beginning I was talking about the trust, that we have already built trust in vaccines and the immunization programs. So we are open to have discussions to understand the concerns of people and respond to those issues because it's not enough to have vaccines. We need people to trust that the vaccines will protect them so that they will be vaccinated. So if we are able to bring everything together and do the various aspects in terms of pre prevention, early treatment, uh, uh, and then uh, giving the vaccines, um, it will be difficult for me to say by 2022, everything is over. No, it's, it's going to be arranged. So I can understand that journalists want to have a very definite time to say that by this time, by end of 22, 2022, everything has ended. But I think that's difficult. We have a range of scenarios, but that depends on human behavior. And so the message that needs to go out is that let's follow the protocols. Let's make sure that we are tested, we are treated, we take the vaccines. And if you have challenges about understanding what the vaccines are for, the health workers are there to answer you or, or respond to your issues. And let's work together and end this uh, epidemic mm. uh, as soon as practicable. Dr. Ahun, as you rightly mentioned, there's a lot of vaccine skepticism, particularly in the developing world. Will you, and I don't know if this is a fair question to, to ask because you're a Ghanaian working at the highest level of, <clears throat> of uh, this uh, international vaccine effort. Will you take the vaccine and, or have you taken it if it's available? And will it be safe to take? Because there are a lot of people I've spoken to, including even health workers who, who are skeptical. Some say they may not take the vaccine. I mean, what, what do you say to people who are suspicious of the global, I mean, they call it big pharma, right? Global organization. Yes, big pharma. Those who are suspicious of big pharma, what, what, what's your comment on that? understand that in the past, especially in Africa, there have been some countries, I think Ghana has been spared that, where um, Big Pharma has not always behaved in a, a responsible uh, way. But, and that's why I talked about the success that we have made in Ghana with the, with the vaccination program. And so, first of all, I'll say that for those uh, with conspiracy theories, it's important to understand what are the issues and what are people concerned about? Because we need to understand. And, and the, the Ministry of Health and Ghana Health Service is doing surveys to understand what people are concerned about so that we can uh, respond to their issues and restore trust in the immunization program because this has been one of the most successful public health uh, programs. Will I take the vaccine? Of course I will. I mean, uh, uh, I have every trust in the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine that um, Ghana has ordered for, and uh, I am willing to take it in public for all to know that I trust uh, the vaccine program. Just a quick one too. There was some discussion in Ghana in the past couple of days about whether when the vaccine comes, it will be administered to all 
or whether pregnant women, children, and people with underlying conditions will not take it. Are these normal conversations? And do how do I put it? Do you do 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 you separate the population into groups of people who should not take the vaccine because of potential risks, and then you give it to specific groups of people, or are they universal for all people to make everybody get herd immunity? Every vaccine has a target population, so um, and and it's based on risk. So, uh, so for example, in general, if you have a live attenuated vaccine, which is called a live weakened vaccine, uh, you, you, you will not give it to um, patients who are immunosuppressed mm-hmm. or patients who have uh, HIV AIDS infection and things like that. So every vaccine, like every medicine has uh, indications and contraindications. So for um, the, the COVID, the COVID vaccine, which is targeted at high risk, I believe that in Ghana, there's a, there's a, a progression. The first 3% is targeted at frontline health workers. So it's not just any health worker, but those who are taking care of patients. So there, there is a progression of uh, uh, um, the high risk groups, including uh, those over 60, those with... Uh, pre-existing conditions like uh, obesity, uh, diabetes. So there's a a, a ranking, I believe, up to about 16 uh, years of age. So the government is going to follow uh, this rule. So for example, for pregnant women, the guideline from WHO is that, yes, um, generally it's not for pregnant women. But if the pregnant woman is a high risk Mm -hmm. uh, patient, then uh, based on medical recommendation, the, the person will be giving uh, uh, this information. I believe that uh, over the weekend to Professor Dodu explained on news file the different groups that uh, will be targeted. So just want to uh, assure everybody that each person will get the vaccine in his or her own time. And what we need to do now is to uh, led to raise this issue about conspiracy theories and then bring the concerns out onto the table. Let's discuss them and deal with them because vaccination has been an important part of the success that we have had in our public health programs mm. and we need to maintain this. I think you have a fascinating story. Uh, public health physicians started in the Ashanti region, obviously at a regional level, took over a national program between 1999 and 2003. Then you rose to become managing director for Gavi programs, country programs, globally. Now, that, that's amazing. So it suggests a couple of things, that the work you people do in Ghana is good enough experience to, to, to carry on to the global level. I mean, that, that's unbelievable. And you, you seem to have excelled at the highest level as well, because you've seen you in videos addressing very, very high levels of conversations around this time for a pandemic. How important is your story for some of our young doctors coming up, trying to sacrifice to do this very hard job, which sometimes is considered a thankless job? I would say that the basics are important. And at the beginning, I mentioned that my being a district director of health services 
provided the foundation and the platform for my work in public health. I have been privileged to experience both um, sub-national and sub-national public health program and the global level. So I consider myself as a bridge. When I am at the global level, I always keep in mind what happens at the district level, because in order to develop policies, you need to understand how to execute, how to monitor, and how to evaluate. Otherwise, you'll be developing policies out of vacuum. So that, that keeps my feet on the ground. And for me, and so going back, uh, I mean, after uh, um, 15 years or so in Gavi, I went to work in Nigeria and I went uh, to really work right at the sub-district level. And that kind of helped to remind me that this is why I'm doing this. So whether I am sitting at a board meeting at the global level or whatever, I want to remind myself that my mission in life is to save lives. And in order to save lives, I need to understand what happens at the ground level because that is where the issues are. And when you work at the ground level, you become more humble because you realize that things are very complex and at the global level, it's very easy to summarize and say, you people need to do A, B, C, D. And when you are there on the ground, you realize it's not that simple. Mm. And so you are more likely to listen. I mean, in public health, what you realize that as you work with community members, they know their situation more than you do. So listening to them is critical. And thinking along with them, how are we going to solve this? And working with them so that the solution becomes something that is owned, jointly owned, that is not I coming to tell you what you should do, but we work together to see how are we going to solve this problem in a sustainable way. And that has been the joy of being in public health that you can actually develop policies and then you go to countries, you see how the policies are developed and, uh, and implemented and you see that you are saving lives. You think that we spent so much time doing measles campaign and from 2003 to date, there is no documented death from measles in Ghana. That is something to be proud of. Amazing. Thank you so much for talking to us, Dr. Mercy Nakomle Ahun, a Ghanaian who's been working in global public health and immunization expert working now as a consultant and based in Geneva. So that was Bernard and Dr. Mercy Nakomle Ahun talking about COVID-19 and related matters. This is all for the City Business Edition. The City Breakfast Show continues shortly. Stay with us.